Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. I am Jason Kong, and good morning to you, Bill. How good, are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, good morning, Jason. I'm still on a little bit of a Halloween candy hangover, yeah, but most uh, of us are. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. Most of it has dwindled off, and you know, we're down uh, to the tootsie rolls at this point. Al- although I have to say, we're we. Uh, at my home, we don't really get any trick-or-treaters, which is very disappointing. No. Uh, years ago, we were in a neighborhood where we had tons and tons of kids that would come by. But uh, now we're in a neighborhood where the houses are farther apart. You know, mm-hmm. They're all on one-acre uh, lots. And that's just too far for the kids to go between <laughs> the houses. So the only time we've ever had trick-or-treaters at our house was when... Uh, um, when our kids were very young and their friends would come over, but the <laughs> so we haven't had uh, had the joy of of uh, entertaining the kids coming by uh, for many years, unfortunately. Well, that's but. some smart trick or treating strategy because you got to go for quantity over uh, exactly. over the quality. Yeah, that's, at that point. that's why those neighborhoods where the houses are close together are packed. That's right. <laughs> Looks like a fair convention's going on. Exactly. Well, um, Absolutely. well, Bill, let's let's get into some some serious topics here. Um, find foundational documents. That's something that we've talked about frequently. Well, but. it's something that I that is really now. What does that mean? Foundational documents. That's <laughs> just you know, it's uh, in the estate planning world. It's a matter of having the right kind of documents for uh, the period of your life. And um, and by, by documents, when I say estate planning documents, I'm, I'm, I'm really not talking about your last will and testament. Some people think that's all you need, that's what you should have, and everyone should have a will. There's no question about that. But there are life documents that are so much more important for folks because Truthfully, life is far more complicated than death, uh, and it is important to you know to basically have a plan on how you want to distribute your estate. Whether it's a simple or more complex estate, you want to be able to give your property to whom you want it, when you want it, the way you want to give it away. Those kind of things. That's part of estate planning. But it's also important to be able to choose who you want to make decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself. And, of course, that is an issue that is, uh, as a percentage, is much more relevant to seniors than young people. But it's still just as important for young people as well to have well, the key foundational documents, truthfully, for life planning are your general durable power of attorney. That's a financial document, which is the one that most people get wrong, in my opinion. And then you have health care powers of attorney. That's a really important uh, document to have um, for your loved ones. Uh, where you choose your agent and give them the authority to make health care decisions when you cannot make those decisions for yourself. And then uh, most people are very comfortable and should have as part of their foundational documents uh, what's called in North Carolina a declaration for natural death. 
very limited document. Uh, even young people should consider those kind of issues and have a document like that. In many states, it's called a living will. Um, but uh, it really has to do with uh, just a horrible situation where uh, you're basically saying, I'm ready to meet my maker or I'm, uh, let me go if it's that bad of a situation. Um, and then what we've needed for the last 15 years, and a lot of folks don't have it, is a medical release that's HIPAA compliant. HIPAA is a federal law uh, that basically says that the doctors and hospitals and medical providers cannot share your private health care information with anyone, including your agents, unless you have signed a release allowing them to receive that information. Um, you know, the doctors year ago, uh, years ago when it was passed never liked it because it's a lot of extra paperwork for them, but it, families should have that. It's important. It's, it's federal law that's not going to go away. And we've also found another uh, sixth document, if you will, uh, uh, to help families that are having issues with access to digital assets, you know. Mm -hmm. So all of those, and it and it doesn't necessarily have to come at death. It may just have uh, come at a time where someone needs access in order to take something down or move it or or do or change it or do something with it with digital assets. And you know, the truth is is that. Um, this modern age is forcing us uh, into more and more and more digital uh, online presence, if you will. Whether you like it or not, it's uh, <laughs> being pushed on us that way. In fact, uh, you know, whereas when I was little, a lot of folks uh, still dealt solely in cash. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of folks that still deal in cash, but, but everything is against dealing in cash at this point. Uh, and so it's very difficult to deal in cash uh, these days, truthfully. Um, you know, it's like you're a terrorist if you deal in cash. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, but uh, so these documents are extremely important. Now, uh, even though they're really important, it's important to have the right documents. Now, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that most people only even think about these things once every 20 years. <laughs> and as you know, some folks think about it and forget it and never do it anyway. Right. But uh, those who do think about it and act on that uh, typically only do it about once every 20 years, which isn't really enough. Now, that sounds very self-serving, but the bottom line is that, that there are – times in people's lives where these kind of documents are really important. Um, you know, for a young person who's unmarried and has no children and they're still basically going back uh, to their parents for assistance and things like that, or not, uh, those folks have less need. Um, but even young soldiers should have these documents. I mean, they're obviously in more danger than other folks. But truthfully, there are a lot of occupations that are dangerous. And where, uh, I mean, a lot of people don't think about it. But let's say that you're a parent of someone who's in college. They're over 18 years of age. Guess what? They're adults. You, mm -hmm. You're not their agent if they're in an accident and 
uh, and the like. Should you have at least a medical power of attorney uh, for your adult children, you know, who, particularly those who are unmarried and, and they still consider you <laughs> their, uh, the, the person who's always uh, been able to make those decisions for them or help them? Absolutely. Um, now, when obviously when you get married, that's another time. When you have children, mm-hmm. that's another time because, um, you know, how are you going to take care of those minor children if something bad happens? That's, that's important. But then again, when, uh, when your children get older and become, you know, pseudo-adults, they turn 18, uh, obviously they're typically not overly mature at that point they still need guidance they still need financial help they you know they they're still under your umbrella if you will but not technically they're not you know they're Mm -hmm. adults and and you're not their uh, guardian anymore if you will until they're 18 you are their natural guardian and you have the ability to make decisions and they can't contract and they can't do things that an adult can do um but when people start reaching retirement age, you know, they're in their early 60s and they're thinking about retirement or they're older than that. You know, I, I don't want to call them seniors yet, but, uh, you know, you're past middle age. <laughs> um, that really is an important time when the right kind of documents mean everything to you. And the problem for us is that we don't know when we will need those documents. And oftentimes, after the fact, it's too late to have those documents. And so in order to emphasize this, particularly for those who are in their early 60s, you know, because this is a time when seeking advice is extremely important because you've got a lot of decisions to make that relate to a retirement decision. It's it's like, okay, um, do I have enough money to retire? So when will I retire? When will I choose to go on Social Security? Uh, how? What kind of Medicare elections will I make when I turn 65 if I have to? Mm-hmm. And most people who turn 65 are forced to make a Medicare election at that point. And we've talked about those. In fact, we talked a lot, a lot about it last week. Um, and then um, there are many other decisions that seniors have to make that go well beyond that. But the fact of the matter is bad things can happen to us. They can happen to us when we're young. I mean, if if uh, bad things never happened to, to anybody when they were young, would anybody buy life insurance uh, when they're young, for, <laughs> you know, to worry about taking care of your your spouse or your children or your mortgage payment? Or No, nobody would uh, even think about it. But everybody with uh, any sense of obligation and responsibility, in fact, does go out and at least buy some term insurance for those purposes because there's a risk. But as we get older, the risk is greater and greater and greater and greater. Um, So uh, it's um, – the bottom line is that 
we really don't have uh, an idea if things, uh, but the more like it is more likely that bad things can happen to us as we get older, particularly in our late fifties and early sixties. Um, I, I mean, you can. I mean, you're not old enough to understand, but you can ask any. Uh, 59-year-old or 62-year-old if if their bar- body works as well as it did 30 years earlier. And, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's a no-brainer. It doesn't. Uh, we And it's not necessarily about slowing down, although we do. Um, and, it, and it's not necessarily about whether we get enough exercise or eat right or whatever. But the bottom line is, uh, as we get older, uh, things... Um, don't go as well as uh, from that perspective. So, uh, and I know we have to take a break, but when we come back, I want to share a story, which is absolutely true, um, just to give folks an idea of how having the right documents really makes a difference for folks. We will definitely get into that story, which we're all uh, excited to hear. Well, I don't know if we should be excited. We may feel uh, a little bit more worried after, I don't know, considering the subject. But uh, we'll also talk about some seminars coming up this week that you're going to want to hear about. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. You are listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong. Good Saturday morning to you. Uh, Bill, we've been talking about foundational documents, which you explained are uh, uh, some very important things that we need to sort of uh, – it's, it's more peace of mind for yourself and for your loved ones um, because just you never know when a, a situation could befall where you're in, unable to make decisions for yourself. So uh, in that case, you're, you're going to want to have someone picked out ahead of time making those decisions. Otherwise, um, you may not be happy with the results. Um, well, I, I mean, the bottom line is that uh, when people are reaching, uh, you know, cl- or getting closer to retirement age, and they're thinking about, well, maybe we should see an attorney uh, about redoing our documents. Um, that's the time when you should, if you haven't done it before, if you have not used an attorney who is steeped in elder law, this is the time to do it because elder law estate planners have a different perspective than other just normal estate planners. Mm -hmm. And the documents that uh, those attorneys give you, quite frankly, are a little different and in some instances a lot different from what you would get from a regular estate planning attorney or a general practice attorney or something that you would find online uh, those documents are not going to help you that much as you get uh, into your later years. And so the story, let's get to the story. I know here I had uh, a married couple who were both doing well, uh, both had good jobs. Uh, they basically got their foundational documents done in our office several years ago. Um, now, the, the couple, uh, typical, they had one daughter, uh, um, and uh, she was doing well, very, you know, 
healthy. Everything was fine. Um, they came in. Uh, they got their documents. They did everything that we recommended for them. Now, they didn't have a complicated estate. So bottom line is they had fairly simple foundational documents done in our office. Now, these folks uh, are what most people would call well-to-do but not rich. Now, what's my definition of rich? Do you, do you know what my definition of rich is? I do not know what your definition <laughs> is. <laughs> well, it's different. Um, I'm not rich, although I'm doing fairly well. Mm-hmm. But my definition of rich is pretty simple. It's a, a, a person who's rich only works because they want to. In other okay. words, they don't need to work in order to be able to live the way they want to live. Uh, Fair enough. I think that's a pretty good definition. If you have enough money to where you don't have to work your entire lifetime and don't have to worry about – ever have to worry about whether you have a penny or not or how you're going to pay your bills, then in my definition, you're rich. (laughs) Okay? But if you have to work – uh, you have to earn a living. You have to worry about paying your bills. Uh, even if you're very well-to-do and have a great job mm-hmm. and those kind of things, but but for your being able to produce income, you'd be in trouble. Okay. Right. And in truth, most married couples, both people have to work to make ends meet. You know, that's an unfortunate reality today. That's very difficult for uh, couples to be able to get, you know, to live a reasonable standard of living without both uh, husband and wife working today, at least at something. Um, now, these folks, well-to-do, have a nice home, uh, live in a wonderful neighborhood, have lots of friends, um, you know, all of that, um, and they've had a lot of things that have gone right for them. Uh, you know, both have had really good jobs. Uh, their uh, daughter got married to a wonderful man. Uh, and in fact, the best news they've had recently is their daughter is pregnant now and expecting their first grandchild. So a lot of things were going right for them. But uh, and so now these folks are mid 60s, uh, you know, right in this um, uh, time frame that I talk about all the time. And tragedy occurred. Husband had a stroke, mm. uh, had, enough, had actually a, a one stroke that wasn't so bad, then they thought it might, they might be able to correct it uh, and that he would recover. But before he even had surgery, corrective surgery, he had another stroke, mm-hmm. and then a, th- a third stroke after that. And, he, you know, uh, he's doing okay, but there's, um, he's not going to be able to come home. He's going to be in a nursing home uh, the rest of his life. Um, there's, uh, now, the wife is still at home. Uh, she's still working, has to work, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, and is very much worried about being impoverished uh, because of the nursing home bills. He just, the husband recently uh, uh, got off re- rehab where Medicare was paying for his rehab, but now he has to stay in a nursing home and it's private pay right. all the way mm-hmm. until we can get 
the family on Medicaid, so the husband can go on Medicaid. Now, this this is a family where many people would would think, oh, well, you have to be poor to be on Medicaid, and and this is one reason we do our seminars to let folks know that if you have to be in a nursing home, Medicaid is available to middle-class families if they get good advice on how to structure what they have. Because basically federal law uh, uh, does not want spouses to be impoverished. And so there are rules that allow you to... um, uh, basically uh, uh, rejiggle your property, if you will, uh, in order to get on Medicaid if, if you know what you're doing. Well, this is where they have the right foundational documents. Now, uh, and so the, the, the wife can make health care decisions for the husband uh, at this point. Uh, and the wife can make financial decisions for the husband. And so we want to protect both the wife and the husband. You know, that's our, uh, that's our responsibility in terms of, uh, of uh, practicing law the right way. We want to make sure that both are protected. So what do we do? The first thing we do typically is we want to move all the property to the wife who's healthy and she's young. I mean, mid-60s, that's young in my opinion. You might not think so, but to me, that's very young. She has a lot of life expectancy. In fact, um, her mother lived to be over 100, and so she's got a lot of life expectancy left uh, in her family. She's very healthy, and so we want to make sure we protect her Uh, property interests and the like. So the way we can protect the husband, and this will sound sort of contra to what some people would think, is to move all of the property to the wife's name. Now, this is a long-term marriage. They have one child together uh, who's in her um, early 30s and, you know, expecting their first grandchild, all that good stuff. Um, But we want to move all of their property that we can, like the home and their investments and their savings, over to the wife's name. And then have the wife change her will, because right now she's had a simple will that said, I leave everything to my husband if I should die first, and he had the same. But now we want her will to be what I call a modified sweetheart will, which leaves all the property in trust for the husband if the wife should die first. Because even though she's healthy and at home and very independent, still working and doing great, we never know what God's plan is on when we live or when we die. So the bottom line is we, we want to put in place a plan to protect husband if something should happen to the wife. So we change her will to leave what we call a supplemental needs trust for the husband. Now, the good news about that trust is that if he's on Medicaid and she dies, the trust is not a countable asset, doesn't create any kind of sanction, doesn't have any kind of look-back problem in terms of creating it. So he stays on Medicaid, and the money in the trust can be used to supplement his care while he's on Medicaid or any other government assistance. 
And then upon his death, what's in the trust can go to uh, their daughter uh, or their grandchildren um, at, at that point. Uh, so it's an asset protection trust, and it makes a huge difference. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that she could not move this property to her own name if she did not have our documents. Um, now, this is a financial move, so it comes under the general durable power of attorney. And the fact of the matter is most – I mean, when I say most, I'm talking 98 percent of the powers of attorney out there would not allow a spouse to convey the house to herself or to move most of the money to because many powers of attorney have no gifting authority whatsoever – and almost all of them have very uh, – they have strict limitations on what you can transfer from one person to the other. Oftentimes, uh, it doesn't say that the agent can uh, make transfers to themselves. And if you didn't have that specific authority, it would be illegal to mm-hmm. transfer property to yourself. Um, Oftentimes, it's limited. Your gifting authority, if, it, if there is one, is limited to the uh, federal tax exemption for gifting, which is $14,000. Well, if you're trying to move several hundred thousand dollars, $14,000 a year doesn't help you at all. So, again, having the right kind of power of attorney makes a difference. Now, in this particular story, we have an even more complicated issue, and that is that the husband uh, has my mother who's still living and very sick. And uh, the good news is several years ago, we actually did documents for his mother. Uh, And at the time, his mother was starting to go downhill with uh, dementia issues, and she, but she was lucid sufficiently to where she could sign new documents. And so we had, again, our documents signed by the mother, I guess it was probably five years ago. And now she's completely demented and could not sign new documents. But again, we have the right healthcare documents in place and we have the right uh, general durable power of attorney. And one of the things in our document that you don't find in 99% of them is uh, the ability to amend and create revocable and irrevocable trusts. Well, that's really uh, key because uh, while we actually redid the um, the mother's um, uh, estate planning documents into a will, which was relatively simple, that they actually had a revocable trust that was never used. In other words, it was created by them, but never property was never actually transferred to that trust. Well, guess what? We can't change this woman's will, all right, because she can't sign it. And that's one thing that a power of attorney won't allow us to do. But guess what? We can use the trust that this lady created years ago and amend it by using the power of attorney and, um, in essence, use the trust that wasn't used before uh, and, in essence, make a supplemental needs trust in the mother's trust. So because um, even though that uh, our client's husband is very sick, 
he still has a life expectancy that's probably longer than his mother, uh, who is demented and uh, much older. So the bottom line is because we have the right documents in place that uh, are – and they're not completely unique to us. Most elder law attorneys would have a document like this. Of course, we want everybody to come to us, but but that's a different issue. The bottom line is you're not going to have those kind of provisions in something that you get online or where you go to your local attorney uh, who's a general practitioner, or even uh, the, the majority of estate planners don't give you documents like that. So that's why I tell folks when they get to be retirement age, they really should have estate planning documents from an elder law attorney. Yeah, it is essential, and that story kind of explains why. If you don't have, it's not just enough to have the documents; it's having the right documents that's right. key. Mm-hmm. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You are listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. I am Jason Kong. He is Bill Alexander, and you can find more about him at WGALaw.com. And Bill, we uh, you just finished telling us uh, uh, a very cautionary tale, I'd say, uh, in terms of uh, having some uh, foundational documents in place and. Um, you know, we've, we've got some seminars coming up this week and, you know, I, I couldn't think of a more, uh, appropriate reason to, uh, for someone to, who's maybe interested in the seminars to kind of attend after hearing the stories. Well, it, it's the kind of thing where I, I want to continue with the story because it's really important for folks to understand this. This is a family that owns a, a beautiful home, uh, that's almost paid for, that, uh, they have um, – they're not rich, but they have good investment savings. They have money in the bank uh, a good bit. They have retirement accounts, IRAs and 401Ks, both of them, husband and wife. And, um, you know, they have a pretty good net worth. And if, if the husband didn't need – uh, Medicaid and for the nursing home. I mean, if he didn't have nursing home care, if he was still uh, basically in good health, financially, these folks were w- well-to-do, mm-hmm. well-off. But this crisis, a nursing home crisis, because of the expense, I mean, you have to understand, people are not prepared to pay $8,000 a month every month for nursing care. And, and that's the kind of price of care that will impoverish people if they don't get help. Well, our plan, just so folks know, is we'll be able to protect this house from what's called Medicaid estate recovery as, as well as all of their other assets. And we'll sh- we should be able to get the husband on Medicaid within a month or so. Wow. And so uh, because we know how to do it. Right. now. Because now, I think for, for most people out there, uh, if they've listened to the story, they would think that's impossible. But, you know, you have to be poor. But that's not what the law is. Uh, not for nursing home care. Now, there are other programs where you actually have to be uh, without much of anything. 
but this is an area where Congress has said it's for the medically needy. Uh, and medically needy doesn't mean poor necessarily. So you can have net worth. It's just a matter of what property can you have. So oftentimes it's a matter of how do you convert your property from a countable asset to a non-countable asset. So to the degree that folks are either in crisis or they're worried about a crisis or they just want to know more about how these programs work, guess what? We have a seminar that's free, that's educational, you don't get fed. We don't do that. You get uh, fed with good information. We, you Bill. get fed That's with good get information. Fed. Um, it's it's not a come on to sell anything. It really is a matter of trying to educate folks about things that will surprise them, if not shock them, in terms of how the system uh, works or doesn't work for them. Uh, being able to know in advance whether you can actually be eligible for a program is extraordinarily important to people. And so we look at uh, we look at Medicaid, we look at special assistance, we look at Medicare, you know, we talked about that last week. Uh, we look at veterans benefits. We look at any and every program that might help people uh, older and younger uh, in terms of long-term care, uh, situations and the sad news is is that most of us, over half of us, uh, will have a long-term care crisis that's very expensive to us, um, and those are just factual numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it is it is scary when it uh, when you have to figure out a way to pay for it uh, when you, you know just in normal retirement planning it's not factored in. Yeah, that's that's pretty essential. And so we, people should come to our seminar. That's right. This <laughs> Wednesday, November eighth, you've got three seminars that they can attend: one at ten, one at two, and one at six thirty. And as we said, this is free. Uh, we just encourage you to register in advance. Right, folks you, do need to register. Yep, you can go to uh, wgalaw.com if you want to do that. You can also call the office. What's the number in the office, Bill? It's 919-256-7000. Pretty easy to remember, 256-7000. Absolutely. And this is, again, at Independence Village of Raleigh at 10, 2, and 6.30 this Wednesday, November 8th. Free to attend, and the information that you'll receive is just, uh, it's invaluable, really. Well, and the seminar typically lasts for, um, it's designed to last for an hour and a half. And I have to say, over the last 20 years, I've never had one that lasted less than two hours. So just (laughs) warn folks about that. I always have really good questions and good folks that are interested. Um, But it is a really good uh, opportunity to learn. Uh, And we also, uh, we do not discourage uh, professionals, and we normally will have a few professionals in the group. And by professionals, I mean attorneys, social workers, CPAs, financial advisors. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they're, they're welcome to learn about how these things work, too. Very good. Yeah, really no reason not to go (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, because the information uh, at some point could be just tremendously useful 
to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good. So WGALaw.com if you want to go ahead and register for this Wednesday, any of the seminars at 10, 2, and 6.30 at Independence Village of Raleigh. Well, Bill, uh, let's uh, let's take a quick break here, and then we'll get back. We'll, uh, we, we can talk about some more crisis planning, or we can get into some tax reform. Uh, I'll leave it up to you, and we'll do that right after the break. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. News Radio 680 WPTF. You are listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Uh, you can find more about him at WGALaw.com. I am Jason Kong and Bill. Uh, it's all over the news right now, but there's lots of proposed tax reform, and I keep hearing figures thrown out, uh, you know, this $4,000 figure. But anytime there's tax reform, there's winners and losers. You know, they may say, oh, people love to use the term nev- revenue neutral, but that may be on the macro. That's usually not on the individual. Well, this this is a difficult time for advisors uh, in terms of tax advisors because – we know that change is in the air. We don't know what kind of sausage co- Congress is making uh, when it comes to tax reform. Um, but there's a lot of things being thrown around. Now, the thing about it is folks need to try to ignore right now what the president is saying because he, other than influence, he's really not a party to tax reform. Uh, so it's the House and the Senate leaders in Congress uh, who are really making the decisions on what's going to be put before the president. And the president only has the ability to either sign it or uh, veto the legislation. Well, truthfully, the president wants tax reform so badly, he's going to sign whatever Congress puts in front of him. But the sausage is being made right now, and we don't know what Congress is going to throw in, but we do know what the House and Senate leadership are talking about, and there clearly will be winners, and there will clearly be losers. And so if you're one of the folks who thinks it might negatively affect you, you might really want to contact our senators and your congressmen um, as it relates to uh, tax reform because um, there are a lot of things on the table that uh, – because the bottom line is if you want to look at the overarching thing, what they want to do is they want to reduce taxes for the wealthiest uh, 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 income producers in the country and and they want to take away most all of your deductions. So, uh, and this can get scary. So, if you are a homeowner, in other words, and you're deducting your real estate tax that you pay, which from a lot of folks is you know a thousand to three thousand dollars a year. Uh, and your interest deduction, which for a lot of folks can be $10,000 or more a year, um, uh, they're talking about taking those deductions away from you in order to fund the, the uh, reduction in taxes for folks. So um, they're also talking about if you pay city or county um, 
uh, income tax, they're taking they're talking about taking away that deduction. Um, so now that doesn't affect that many people in North Carolina, but it does uh, affect uh, a lot of states uh, like New York City and a lot of the big cities have a city income tax, and there are other places around the country that have local uh, income tax. And of course, we have state income tax. We don't have local income tax, but we're going to lose our state income tax deduction. So if you you know pay five or six or ten or fifteen thousand dollars to the state, you're going to lose that deduction. Now, um, there are now what they're the the um, what they're thinking about giving you is doubling your exemptions, which would be the equivalent of about twelve thousand dollars in deduction. So, if you're a renter, you don't own a house, and you don't pay real estate tax, and you don't take the mortgage deduction, and you don't give to charity, which is another deduction they're talking about taking away. Um, uh, you, you know, and and you're relatively low income, then this tax reform can benefit you. And there are a lot of folks out there that that can't afford to buy a house and those kind of things. But middle class folks, who you know factored in their deductions in order to help buy the house, they're going to be the huge losers in this tax reform debate. Now, what are they really talking about in terms of income? Well, on the high end. And these are couples that income, earned income each year is over $415,000. They're at the highest tax rate, 39.6%. And they're talking about reducing the highest tax rate down to 35%. So now some of them are saying, okay, well, let's reduce the highest rate except for those folks making over a million dollars. Well, Folks who are making $400,000 a year are way above my pay grade. And, and so, in essence, uh, those folks would get not an exemption, but they would get for every $100,000 over the 35% tax bracket, they would basically get a $5,000 credit or, in other words, not pay the tax. So Mm -hmm. those folks are getting a huge tax break. And they're not talking about reducing taxes for everybody. If you're in the 10% bracket, in other words, you're fairly low income, and a lot of seniors are either at zero or 10%, they're talking about increasing your tax rate from 10% to 12%. So that's a tax increase for those folks. So anybody who itemizes on on their taxes, and most homeowners, most people give money to charity, most people um, uh, under those circumstances, those folks are going to be the big losers, and the folks who are the big income people will be the big winners in, in the reform that they're really talking about. And that's consistent between both the House and the Senate, unfortunately. So we're hoping we can save a few of these deductions for us. And you might want to call your congressman or senator. Yep, it never hurts. Uh, and it actually makes a bigger impact than you might think. So that, a good tip from Bill there. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF.
You're listening to Asset Protection today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. And we were just about out of time, but we've got enough time to remind you this Wednesday, November 8th, come on out to the seminars 10, 2, and 630 at Independence Village of Raleigh. Register online at WGALaw.com. It's a good chance to get some uh, extremely helpful information. Um, you know, we've talked about it all throughout this program, Bill, but uh, really not an excuse if you think this might benefit you or a loved one in any way. Absolutely. We hope to see folks at the seminars. If they're interested in long-term care and how to pay for it and what's available to them, this is where you get good, straightforward, factual information. WGALaw.com is where you go to register. Thank you so much for listening. We really enjoyed having you uh, a part of the program. We hope you'll join us again next Saturday at 11. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next week. 